turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 131. You will be perhaps glad to know it's one of the shortest psalms and one of the shortest chapters of the Bible. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, O people, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is actually one of my favorite psalms, not because it's so short, but for other reasons. And I had a copy of it actually in my office for many years. I actually don't know what happened to that framed uh, copy of this psalm that I had in my office. I guess I need to get another one because... uh, It was and is a constant reminder to me of some important truths that I want to share with you today. In his commentary on this psalm, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, it's one of the shortest chapters to read, but one of the longest to learn. One of the shortest chapters to read, but one of the longest to learn. The reason why it's a long chapter to learn is that it's essentially a description of a surrendered life, a life that is completely surrendered to God. And um, a life of surrender is a lifelong project, isn't it? We don't say, anybody here going to say, yep, I'm done with that, my life is surrendered, I'm moving on now. As I reflect on my own life, as I seek to surrender it to the Lord, I often think of it in terms of a battle or a struggle for territory. God, of course, owns me and he's my creator. And as such, he has the right to all of me. But the old man has also staked his claim And he's fighting tooth and nail to retain as much territory as he possibly can. And what results is an ongoing struggle that I find, at least in my own life, kind of ebbs and flows. Territory that I may surrender one day, I often take back the next day. And God then often shows me new things that I'm clinging to. New territory Areas of my life that I want to retain ownership of, but that needs to be surrendered. And so the battle goes on, and I expect it will go on. There's a good reason why God named Jacob Israel. Remember the story in the Old Testament where God wrestles with Jacob, and at the end of it, Uh, Jacob tells God, Jacob is really subdued, but God is kind of, you know, he's saying, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you fight here. We'll, we'll, we'll have a little wrestling match. 
And at the end of it, God asked, Jacob asked God to, to bless him, but God also names Jacob Israel. Israel means wrestles with God. We are all Israel. We all wrestle with God for territory. And in a lot of ways, we're like a child, and those of us who are parents know this well, where your child is having a fit, and there are times you just need to get them on your lap, and you need to hold them until they settle down, right? Until they are quiet. Psalm 131 is David's story of his own wrestling with God that brought him to a place of surrender. I want to read it to you again, this time from the New Living Translation, and listen to it kind of with those ears of someone wrestling with God and finally coming to a place of surrender. He says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. So will I, for myself, characterize that struggle as kind of a battle for territory. David characterizes it in this psalm in terms of the process of weaning a child from its mother's milk, which can be a trying process for both the child and the mother. I'm not a mother, so I haven't experienced that, but I think some of you who are moms can relate to that. In ancient Israel, children actually were weaned quite a bit later than is common in the West. In fact, uh, it was customary not to wean children until they were three or even four years of age. But regardless of the age, weaning can be a traumatic time in the life of a child. Up to that point, a baby enjoys full access to its mother. And if he's hungry, he cries, and she freely gives him what he wants. But the day comes when access is denied. And that becomes a cause for all kinds of turmoil and confusion that the child hasn't yet had to face in their young life. How could her mother be so hard of heart and even cruel to turn away and refuse her what she is so sure she needs? But in spite of the fact that her child is miserable and confused, her mother's love requires her to continue, even to appear to be heartless and uncaring. And even though she, the mother herself, may miss the pleasure of the child at her breast, it has to be done. And so in spite of her own desires, she persists in that painful project, even sometimes Through her own tears. How many of you moms shed tears in the weaning process? A few of you did. Sharon wasn't able to breastfeed, so we didn't experience weaning in quite the same way. But 
she had her own crises that uh, led to tears. And one of those crises was when Lyle had to be moved from his bassinet in our bedroom to the crib in the nursery. And it was painful to hear his crying from the other room. And Sharon was like, we got to bring him back. He, we, how can we do this to him? And I gave her this image that helped. I said, imagine him at 18 being stuffed in his bassinet. <laughs> Growing up is hard to do. I know that's not how the song goes, but it fits. And in time, babies take that huge leap from infancy to childhood. They discover that even without what they thought they needed and couldn't do without, even without that, they're still loved and they're still cared for. They stop their struggling and their fussing and learn to be content in a new relationship with their mother. And that's kind of the image that David is giving us in that in this psalm. And so it is with the Christian life. Christian maturity and surrender go hand in hand. Growing up in Christ is not primarily a matter of having the right doctrinal beliefs or adopting certain Christian values or even becoming skilled in living the Christian life. All of those things are valuable, and they're part of it. But fundamentally, Christian maturity is about surrendering ourselves to God. Because it's only as we surrender to Him that the authentic fruit of maturity in Christ can be produced in our lives. A weaned child still gets hungry. It's not as though they stop eating. Right, But what happens is that a child that has been weaned learns to hunger for different things, for better things. And in the words of Paul, they no longer crave the milk of immaturity, but the solid food of maturity. And so the process of surrendering begins for a child first They surrender their pacifier. When Lyle was a baby, we called it his plug because it just, you know, you just plug that hole right there and hopefully it (laughs) stops the noise. They surrender their favorite blanket and they surrender their bacteria infested teddy bear. (laughs) They surrender those things in order to take hold of the greater things. And we must surrender the lesser things to take hold of the greater things, as dear as those lesser things are to us. And so often, God appears to be taking things away from us or withholding things from us, things we're certain that we can't live without. But God's goal is never to deprive us, but always to give us more of himself. And as long as we cling to the lesser things, that's what we'll have, is the lesser things. I've told this, uh, I I think it's a funny story. Actually, I think it's a brilliant story myself. But uh, I've told this story about 
having a conversation with Lyle when he was about to turn five. And I said to him, look, I'm going to give you a choice for your birthday present. I'll give you a matchbox car or a convertible Mustang. And he's like, I want the matchbox. And I'm like, yes, when he's 15, I can tell him, hey, I offered it and you already refused it. As long as we cling to the lesser things, that is what we'll have. But when we surrender those lesser things to him, and when we surrender ourselves to him, he is able to fill our lives with abundance beyond what we could have imagined. And it's in surrender that we find rest for our souls. We have sung about that this morning. David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child that no longer cries for its mother's milk. I have stopped struggling. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In order to get to that place of surrender and rest, David had to come to terms with some things. And there are three things that I think are in this psalm that David had to come to terms with and we also have to come to terms with in that process. The first thing is that we are not the center of the universe. I'm sorry. Verse 1 says, David says, My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. When a baby is first born, we do everything for them because they're helpless. Um, Lyle and Jenna are expecting their first in about three weeks, and we're really excited about that, and we also have been kind of preparing them. Be prepared for your world to change because that child will become the center of your universe for a while. And because of that, infants naturally get the impression that the world revolves around them. And that is also a fundamental characteristic of our sin nature. We're inclined to think that everything is about us. It's about what we want. It's about what we think is important. It's whether we're comfortable and whether we're happy and whether everyone recognizes how amazing we are. So our pride is the first thing that has to be surrendered to God. The idea that we have the right to command the universe and that we are right when everyone else is wrong and our interests and our wants are the most important thing. There's only one God and only room for one God in the universe, and that's not us. A surrendered life is a humbled life. And sometimes that humility has to come through pain and through rejection and loss and failure and struggle. But God's purpose in stripping us of our pride is not to harm us, but to heal us of our preoccupation with ourselves. 
because it's when he heals us of our preoccupation with ourselves that we're able to notice him. And then come to understand ourselves rightly in relationship to him. It's when we stop trying to prove how important and valuable we are that we have eyes to see just how precious and valuable he is. And then there's something else that happens. Because when we see how precious and valuable he is and we surrender to him, we discover that he values us. And that our value doesn't come from how good we are and how much we know or how right we are. But our value comes from him. And the value that he places on us is so much greater than the value that we could, have, we could secure for ourselves by our pride. A surrendered life is a humbled life. The second thing we need to come to terms with if we're to live a surrendered life is that we don't need to know everything. David says, I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. I find this to be true of myself, and maybe you do it of your do find it true to be be true to of yourself as well, but my inclination is that I'm willing to follow God as long as I can see where he's leading me and as long as I agree with where he's going. You find that? God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. If his ways are higher than our ways, it only stands to reason that there will be times when we don't understand him. A loving mother can appear cruel to a child that is being weaned. And yet the very thing that makes her seem uncaring, she is doing for that child's good. We all face times in our lives when God is confusing and we can't see the road ahead and we can't see his goodness. And there are times that we simply have to come to terms with the fact that we don't understand. And we have to be content with that. Knowing that he is good in spite of how it appears to us in the moment and trusting that his purposes for us are for our good. You find that there is a great burden in having to know everything and understand everything. God invites us to lay that burden down and leave what we can't understand with him. Trusting that he knows what we don't know and he knows what he's doing even when we disagree. A surrendered life is content to trust God with what it can't see, what it can't know, what it can't understand. 
The third thing we need to come to terms with as we learn to surrender to God is that we are not in control. It's a hard thing not to be in control, isn't it? How many of you have trouble sitting in the front passenger seat of a car? (laughs) My wife is great. I can count on one hand, maybe two hands by now, the number of times that she has, you know, scared me by going, (gasps) you know. My mom is a different story, but my wife, she's great. And I can tell you when I ride with, and she's driving, I have those same internal reactions like, did she see that? And I'm pushing on the floor. <laughs> when, my, when babies feel their needs aren't being met, what do they do? They throw a fit. They fret and scream and cry because it's the only way they know to regain control of the situation and get their way. And we're capable of doing that too, aren't we? We worry and fret and we try to manipulate and we throw our weight around and resort to bad behavior because we feel like we need to do it because we have to get control of the situation. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? When a child comes to terms with the fact that all of its fussing isn't going to get it what it wants, it eventually stops fussing because there's nothing else to do but accept the situation. Sometimes it might take all night, though, doesn't it? David says in verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child that no longer cries for its mother's milk. In the Hebrew, actually, this is more of a command than a statement. Essentially, David is saying, I have imposed silence on my soul. I will be at peace. I have said to my fussing heart, shut up. But it's not easy to command your heart to be still, is it? In the end, rest in God, quietness of soul, is not the result of our gaining control of the circumstances, but rather of allowing God to have control of us. Be still, the psalmist says, and know that I am God. A surrendered life is a life that is content for God to be in control of the outcomes and has stopped fussing and wrestling to have our own way. And a surrendered life, because of that, can be at rest even when things aren't the way we'd like them to be. I can't help but wonder when David wrote this psalm. Speculate a little bit. It doesn't tell us really what the circumstances were, but I can't help but wonder if he wrote this psalm during the time that he was running for his life 
from Saul. God had chosen him, and God had anointed him to be the king of Israel. And that had turned his life upside down and just created this tremendous turmoil in his life. I can't help but wonder how often he wished in those lonely nights hiding in the desert that he could just go back and watch the sheep. And I think about the time that he spent in Gath acting like he had gone insane just hoping that they wouldn't kill him because they were Philistines and they were Israel's enemies. But he figured he was so desperate he had to go there and act like he was crazy in order to get their protection from Saul. I wonder if he ever asked himself, like I ask myself sometimes the same kind of question, if this is what being the anointed one looks like, God, go anoint somebody else. He experienced humiliation. He experienced times of confusion. No doubt he often laid awake at night trying to figure out how to get control of the situation, wrestling with God. I can imagine him praying this psalm in the middle of the night, hiding out in a cave in the desert. Lord, I surrender. My pride is gone I don't understand, but I have decided to leave the outcome to you. I'm done fussing. I'm done wrestling with you over this territory. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Perhaps it's a place of conviction like that, of decision and surrender like that, that enabled him to do what most of us probably wouldn't have been able to do, which is when he had Saul there and he had the opportunity to end it, he said, no, I'm not doing it my way. I'm going to let God take care of this in his time, even though that means ongoing turmoil for me. So what's your place of surrender right now? What's the territory that you're defending, wrestling God for? Maybe you haven't yet taken that first step and surrendered yourself to Jesus as your Savior and put your trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross. That's a moment of surrender. I think sometimes as Christians, we think of that as the moment of surrender. And it certainly is a crucial moment of surrender, but it's not the last one, is it? Perhaps your life hasn't turned out the way you expected it to. Maybe a health issue or financial crisis or some kind of loss has changed your life in ways that you just don't like. Maybe God is calling you to do something that you don't want to do. Maybe it's a broken marriage 
or a wayward child, and all of your efforts to fix it have come up short. Maybe it's the ongoing uncertainty that we're all dealing with in our nation right now. Or maybe it's your own guilt and regret over past failures and mistakes. All of those things and many, many more can be places where we have to come to terms with who God is and surrender to him. Whatever that place might be, Jesus says to all of us, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Stop fretting. Stop fussing. Stop wrestling. Stop insisting it has to be your own way. And be still. Turn in your hymn books to hymn number 347. I want to sing this hymn together as a prayer, kind of like the way that David, it's written the way that David says it. It's written as a command. Be still, my soul. Trust in the Lord.
stilled and quieted my soul. I have given up the territory. Tomorrow I might take it back. But I'll keep at it and he will keep at it until I am all his. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you wrestle with us. You don't need to wrestle with us. You could just put an end to our wrestling. And yet you do. Because you want to teach us that you are good. And so as the psalmist appeals to us, may we also say in our own hearts, Oh, Israel, put your trust, put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.